Today's guest is Leslie Celine. Leslie is a witch doctor, a, I don't know if that's what she goes by, but that, she was introduced to me as a witch doctor. She's also an author and a mystic in various traditions. And I connected with her back when I was in One Taste, uh, the cult I was in. I tell the story in the podcast, but basically my cult mentor gave me a session or got me a session with her. And she gave me a read on all these different things. It was kind of a mediumship session. I, I wasn't, I didn't really understand what it was. I didn't really know what mediumship was. I didn't really believe and, and I was much, I didn't really believe what was going on, but she did say a lot of things to me that this year, this is maybe five years later or six years later, that a lot of these things have clicked in my mind. And I, and I talk about that in the, in the show. And it was interesting because I, I, you know, we have mutual friends and I'd heard many things about her history and her lineage and her training. And I really want to speak with her because I don't know if I'll share in this moment, but the last couple of months I've been really leaning into any beliefs or understandings that I've had around mysticism, you know, like when I was in the cult and you could check out on my YouTube and podcast, I just released part one of my cult story. Part two might actually be out by the time this episode's out. But like, you know, I leaned maybe a little too far into magical thinking or, you know, not without enough discretion during that period of my life. There were a lot of benefits, there were negatives. And I kind of swung back the other way the last couple of years of like just being focused on practical matters and being responsible. And now I find that my life is a lot more stable. I'm finding this urge to lean into uh, mystical beliefs again. And like I've actually been noticing in the last couple of months, I've been materializing or manifesting things at a faster rate and like things are just in flow and there's all these synchronicities that I wasn't, that have surpassed my uh, perception of confirmation bias. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But uh, this was a really fun conversation with Leslie. She speaks about her background. We cross paths in one taste. We speak a lot about sexuality in this podcast. Um, she has a great line, which I wrote down immediately. Sex is the poor man's meditation, but I'll let her flush that out. Right now you're listening to episode 072, Leslie Celine, Witches and Magic. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, part of the Gotham Podcast Studio Network in New York, New York. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Leslie, it's great to connect with you again. Hi, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny, you actually came up recently. Um, I mean, we have a lot of mutual friends and like everyone's, over the last couple of years, people have mentioned you and I've always been curious, but um, I'm writing a book about my time in One Taste. And I was actually getting to the point, like you and I, when we first connected, it was over like a Skype session. You did like a, yeah, yeah. Uh, my cult mentor, or I don't know, I'll, I'll go into that. My mentor at the time, uh, you know, got me a session with a witch doctor. I was like, I didn't know what that was, but then connected with me, with you. And I was writing about that because this has been like five years. And I realized some random things you said to me finally clicked for me this year. I was like, well, I need to, I need to connect with her again and, and like get some clarity on it. So I'll ask you about those things, but I was also just yeah. curious about your life. So, um, yeah, glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm curious what what were the things. <laughs> yeah, well, we could jump into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how this is going to come up, but you said some things to me like around jealousy and like. Because like I, I had never done a session like that. I obviously had been coached, but you just like did a read on me and just like just said a bunch of stuff, which I guess that's yeah. what you do, right? That's what I do, yeah. I'm a medium. I I try the way I try to do is get out of the way and not have any preconceptions when I start, and just uh, and just let the let the uh, those very subtle information come to me. Awesome. I'm going to ask you about your process if you have one soon. But um, one of the things you said to me was around jealousy. Um. I was entering like open relationships for the first time and you said something to me like, 
oh, the reason why you're making people jealous is because you're not staying connected. I don't know if you said energetically, but you're just not staying connected to the other person. I had no idea what that meant for the longest time. I was like, do I need to communicate more or whatever? And then a few months ago, finally clicked of like maintaining a heart connection with someone who I'm not physically with. And it's like, oh, like, I don't know why I didn't get it, but I just didn't get it. Um, and you said something about like masculinity and femininity, which I'll ask you about, but I think for everyone, it'd be great to know your background and what you do exactly. Cause I, uh-huh. I only know it superficially myself. Well, I'm a medium and, mm-hmm. uh, I started, uh, reading palms when I was five. Mm-hmm. I started reading cards when I was 12 and my family, uh, there was aunt Eva who was like that. So they just said, Oh, she's like Aunt Eva and just, and let her be that way. So there was some uh, context. My family is, uh, Roma origin were, were, were gypsy blood but um mm-hmm. so the uh, they were Christian scientists and er, those were the early hippies um mm-hmm. in the family and uh so they just let me learn organically and uh and they uh supported me in the practice and then I studied Zen I studied African diasporic religion. Uh, Santeria is what it's known by. It's called Lukumi. Um, is that like with the Orishas? Like the... Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yes. And Vodun uh, is, is the branch of, of Asperic and diasporic ma- magic from Haiti and New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So I've studied that too. And uh, more recently, I've been living in Europe and studying the uh, tradition of the Cathars, uh, Mary Magdalene branch of the Catholic Church and the Black Madonna traditions and how they mm. tie in to the to the pagan uh, religions that were prevalent before the Roman Empire. Huh. And I don't know a ton other than what I've just researched online about these uh, these topics, but like uh, they're basically tapping into like, like archetypal, like pre-monotheistic. Yes, um, animists, uh, we have this sensation that we can enter into direct communication with the elements uh, Mm -hmm. unmediated. Uh, And and have you found, because it sounds like you've gone through different cultures, are are they basically the same like energies or are they really separate? They can be related, you know, Uh like uh, Shango can be uh, related to Zeus. Mm-hmm. These are Near Eastern variants of of the of the same tradition. Uh, Thor is kind of like the same, like thunder, the mm-hmm. the guy, the 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 uh, storm guy. Um, but they're not all the same. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the Egyptian Neteru are distinct beings from the Orisha. They're gotcha. cousins, but they're uh, uh, if you call them up, you get somebody else on the line. Gotcha. Okay. So could you, I mean, maybe this is kind of maybe an intellectual question, but like, what are these entities exactly? I've, I've always assumed that every tradition was like tapping into the same energy or principle, but just calling it something different, but you're saying they're actually separate. They're beings. beings. Yeah. Okay. They're beings. Um, they're like, uh, some people say they're seventh dimensional beings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not exactly sure what we are either. Um, I know that um, I hold an illusion that I am separate from you. Um, and at moments, I can see the truth 
that that's not true that the, that there's that I don't exist without you uh without my relatives without my friends without the entire fab the ecosystem that is humanity I don't actually exist separate from that um so uh it's a very good question uh where one being uh begins and the other one ends <laughs> we're not quite sure we know that if we follow the instructions that were given to us by the ancients for uh calling up a spirit uh they work that's who you get <laughs> gotcha and um and these might be very basic questions but i i with like the black madonna stuff that you mentioned or like the mysticism within yeah. i guess yeah. embedded in christianity is that the right way to put it well syncretized with christianity because that's okay. how you do uh imperialism is you uh -huh. absorb uh the existing religions and you say listen you can keep the statue of the lady on your altar but if you try to call it anything but mary we're going to kill you gotcha so that's where you get the <laughs> homogenization aspect of like oh it's all the same alexander this is all imperial imperialist philosophy overlay mm. that oh yeah it's exactly the same as isis and it's exactly the same, and it's not it's, gotcha it's different yeah. <laughs> so so how does that work with in christianity are you really tapping into like a pagan it's like just a pagan tradition just dressed up with different words yeah yeah each black madonna resides at a spring um, most of them are on the way to Santiago, the community Santiago, that they, this pilgrimage that is now called a Christian pilgrimage. It, it was, they were following the Milky Way. It was called the Path of Venus. And that's why they all wear a, that shell around their neck while they're doing that walk, as it's about adoring Venus. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and what is it, Black Madonna exactly? A Black Madonna is a Madonna that's Black. Okay. <laughs> a lot of them, a lot of them are uh, are, are pre-Christian statues. They're Roman statues of ISIS. Mm -hmm. Most of them in France were destroyed in the French Revolution. They just stuck everything on the fire. But the, interestingly, the people won't let them. Like they try to paint them white, and and the people are like, "No, she's black." <laughs> Even though most of the people in Europe are white, you're, you're like, "Why are you insisting?" Well because she is physically number one obviously uh, jesus and mary mary magdalene were dark-skinned people um and and the other reason is that um that blackness is origins it's root hmm. and uh so they're saying uh no we're gonna call it mary that's okay we'll call it the virgin but we actually remember that it's a much older tradition and all old traditions uh, come from Africa. Mm. Mm. And, and when you say you're studying this or you've studied Vodum, what does that entail? I don't know if you could answer that in one thing, but like, what is it? I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to paint a picture because I have well, no very idea. Different. Yeah, no, studying, uh -huh. uh, studying Western uh, mysticism is very different because we've lost our lineage. Uh, everybody got burned at the stake, so we have to reinvent. And there's a pagan reconstructionism. Anthropologists and sociologists go in and they look at the fragments that are left and try to reconstruct what what was going on. Um, when you're talking about uh, 
Native American spirituality, which I have not studied, or the African diasporic spirituality, these people have not lost their lineage, direct oral transmission from, uh, from uh, uh, godparent to godchild. That is, is, is a ritual initiation. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a completely different way to study than books. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, and um, this initiation, for, for again, this might be a basic question, but like, what is it exactly? What are you initiating into? What, what changes when you, I guess there's a rite of passage or something like that? What changes? Yeah, well, the whole point of initiation is that it's going to change you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, uh, there's, uh, there's a, a death and a rebirth in an initiation. And just like with your physical birth, you don't get to decide which parts of you are consumed in the process and what lands uh, at the birth. So um, it requires a, a degree of surrender and, and trust in, in your elders and, uh, and, and uh, trust that, uh, that, that when you allow something to change you, um, that it somehow is going to be better. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. You know, like, like when you fall in love and you know, yeah. oh shit, and you're going, oh, do I go into the fire or not? You know, and you uh -huh. know it's going to change you and you run toward the fire anyway. That's, <clears> that's the form. It's maybe the closest we get to initiation, um, sex being the poor man's meditation. <laughs> I'm going to ask you that about that in a second. Um, hold on. I'm let this airplane go by. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I just moved into this new house. It's like, it's big, it's amazing. It's got a big yard, but I happen to be right under a flight path. <laughs> so Where are you? I'm in Thailand. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just moved in with my girlfriend into a big house with one of her friends Where uh, somewhere that, else in, in Chiang Mai. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, anyway, I was going to ask you because I, something that's actually brought me back to spirituality was like, was men's work and men's coaching and noticing it's like, man, so many men my age in our thirties were still boys. And like, why is that? Because we're missing out on a rites of passage. We're missing out on initiation. And like, just like looking at psychology just brought me back to spirituality because that seems to be such like a obvious missing piece. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but you know, you're mentioning that most people miss out on their, you know, perhaps rite of initiation. What can people do to bring that back? if they're not willing to jump into mysticism or something. Well, do it. You know, often body, the urge for body modification is an urge for initiation. Mm -hmm. um, there are branches of AA that treat, um, you know, drug abuse as the, as, as the body is, is looking for the entheogen that is going to transform its brain. And without guidance, it can fall into addiction. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of our unconsciously motivated behavior is looking for that thread, that ancestral memory of, I, I want to grow, I want to change, I want to uh, be someone else. Uh, people cutting themselves, um, often the suicidal urge is an urge for spiritual death and rebirth misinterpreted huh. without guidance. And, Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, what, what we can do is um, 
and this is what I do oftentimes in my work is um, is put people in touch with their own spirits. Um, not try to like give them a path. Um, the risk with uh, like you're going to go to the Amazon and do ayahuasca. Well, that'll work. Only it, your ancestors don't know what they're talking about unless your ancestors are from the Amazon. So there's a cultural appropriation aspect to mm. the search for initiation that needs to be addressed. And that's what the the, the uh, reconstructionists are trying to do. They're trying to like, okay, well, I'm like, say I'm of Irish origin and uh, I should really be doing the Celtic initiation, but problematically, you know, all those people died and we don't have one. But yeah. the reconstructionists are redoing it. So you can go there. There's also the Sami people in Finland are the indigenous the American Indians of, of Northern Europe. Hmm. And, you know, in, in what they call shamanic, which is a white people word to describe uh, indigenous uh, culture. Um, the, the Sami people are doing practices that are quite similar to uh, Mongolian shamanic practice or Native American shamanic practice. Hmm. Yeah, that unconscious urge is really interesting. I haven't actually thought about it in that way of like why, especially it usually happens during puberty. Like we have those, well, like obviously it makes sense. And like I, I have thought that why people get wasted on their uh, bachelor party, well, that's just like, it's not that different than a ceremony. There's just no one guiding it and you're, you're just going in altered state totally. <laughs> and purging <laughs> typically. And we used to have initiatory ceremonies, you know, a couple times a year uh, in the, in a community and, and you, you would have various initiations in throughout, throughout your life. And now all we get is uh, your birthday, your wedding and your funeral. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, so that you cram everything into the wedding and like <laughs> yeah yeah so so how what do you do you have a process i don't know if this is, these are things you can even put into words but uh in helping someone find their spirits like what does that look like well as i say start by getting out of the way and getting empty and listening mm -hmm. um and, you know, so as a result, sometimes people will come for a session and they're specifically wanting to talk to one dead relative and that's not what happens. Or mm -hmm. They specifically want their spirit guide or whatever. But we just listen and see what happens. And, and usually um, the spirits will draw us along a path of discovery um, where first starting with, with the close ancestors, mm -hmm. um, the person will learn to set up a... a, a, a an altar, which is an antenna, tuning hmm. into that station hmm. so that you know who you're getting. Um, and they'll start relating to one or two ancestors on their own. And when that is not no longer freaking them out, then we can go deeper into, um, like, as you're saying, archetypal forces, which are like um, Bridget. For the Irish saint, mm. Bridget is a is a Catholic saint. She's also a pre-Christian deity, mm. and um, and she's also a personal guide. So Bridget will be called in at births and at deaths mm. for for this transition. So people develop a personal relationship with her the way anyone can develop a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. Mm. 
And do you have any like tips or other procedures in creating an altar? I mean, I've, I've made them, but I've always been like, oh, this is just like a fun thing to do, things I want to look at. But is there anything more to it than that? Well, yeah, if you want an antenna, um, you'll st- mostly start start with just a white piece of cloth. But if you're specifically calling a spirit that is, likes red, use red, um, you need uh, the things that we have that go between worlds. So uh, alcohol has been, it's been distilled. So it's been sent to the next world and back, right? Mm. Whether you put a cup mm. of alcohol, water, water we know is, is, a, is a vibratory conductor, the way copper is, you know. Mm. So water, booze, smoke. So some people use a cigar, some people use incense, but something that is smoke because it's going from the visible world to the invisible world. Hmm. And then you want symbol because um, often we're not even speaking the same languages as the spirits we're talking to. Um, for example, the Neteru, the Egyptian deities, they prefer it if you know how to say their name correctly. Hmm. Right? Jesus, he don't mind. If you say Yeshua, if you say, you know, Jesus, if you say Jesus, he don't actually mind. But the Netheru, they really like it. And you can feel the energy spark up when you say the name correctly. So Isis is Osset. It's not Isis. It's it. So you got to get it right. And then, and then, bing, oh, that's, it opens. Um, so for some words hmm. and just, sounds just are jump really in. important. How do people know this? Or how, I mean, this is my irrational mind. Like, like, how do you? How do they know that Jesus responds this way and Isis responds that way? Experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just try it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the symbol. So a visual symbol, um, uh, relating to the spirit that you would like to speak to. So mm-hmm. starting with your close ancestors, either a photo of them or an object that they enjoyed their favorite drink, if they smoked their favorite cigarette and uh, their favorite flower smell. So perfume, the flowers that smell good or, or a kind of perfume. And that's traditionally the altar ingredients is all that mm-hmm. and some people put a crystal or stone that reminds me of but you're tuning to a specific vibration hmm. and uh so with, with connecting with deceased uh ancestors and stuff I, I guess this kind of jumps into a a big question of what do we do after we die because I, I thought i mean maybe maybe i'm going to be corrected but like i'm like if i'm going to tune into my grandfather then he must be around in some form and not, let's say, reborn into a butterfly. If I can, I don't know, or is this these right. questions? Well, yeah. that's that's the uh, sometimes the disappointment when people show up and then I'm supposed to be Lily Tomlin and connect them to the operator, connecting them to. We don't know. It, some some spirits work. Some spirits mm-hmm. will come talk, and it's not always the one you wanted to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um. I believe in reincarnation. So uh, when I can't get a hold of a spirit, I'm thinking, well, maybe they already are reborn somewhere. Sometimes I'll get another voice will tell me where they went or, you know, we'll get some kind of Mm -hmm. story or read on it. And sometimes we just don't know. Uh, Some some spirits are reabsorbed back into their element of origin. 
uh, and they don't work either. But a lot of spirits do work in co their capacity as communication between uh, this life and other realms. So those are the ones you, you're going to be talking to. Have you found in the different traditions you study that there's some core things that conflict? Core things that conflict. I'm just thinking, so I was raised Buddhist and Catholic and a lot of things butt heads, which was, I was very confused. But I'm wondering with uh, like, you know, well, with Buddha and... Like, like what, but what butt heads there? Uh, just like what happens after you die or... Um, oh, right. Yeah, things no, like there's that. lots of stories. The uh -huh. Egyptian Book of the Dead is different from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which is mm -hmm. different from the Popol Vuh. And, and, uh, and so, obviously, we don't know. My stepfather was a Catholic priest, and he married my mom when I was seven. And so I watched him throughout his life uh, evaluate and reevaluate um, what was truth and now that he always more information more study what is truth now uh but when he did the funeral for his little brother uh he got up there and he said you know what we know about near-death experiences we know that when people come back from a near-death experience they'll report similar things but we don't really know uh about uh if that's at all similar to a, to a not coming back death experience. So he was looking at empirical data, you know. Um, and, but when he passed away, he said he wanted to he call me. He said he wanted to work. He, he, he didn't want to go to heaven. And he just wanted to work in the communication between the living and the dead. So we're like, okay, with the priest's arrogance, right? Like, where do we send this memo, dad? You know? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> But so he, he grew up uh, Catholic converts, but they were spiritualists. They used a Ouija board at home. So there was never any question in his mind that you could talk to dead people because on the Ouija board, his spiritualist parents, they give proofs the spirits do. They'll tell you something or during a session, they'll tell me to say something that I can't possibly know. And then the person will be like, oh, she can't know that. Then this must be real. Well, then they want to get in because once you're open there, they want to tell you, I'm always by your side. Look, everything is made of love. There's a reason for all this. And, and those things are going to get in on the wave of how did she know about the yellow fireplace or whatever weird thing I, uh, they gave me as a proof. Yeah, it's interesting. I, actually, I don't remember if at magic school, did you lead the thing with the God box? I'm like, it's coming back to me or maybe it wasn't you. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, yeah, anyway, I'm just remembering this is a bit of a side, but like, um, it was something about putting intentions and like asking higher, whatever. And I was like, I've, I've always been in and out, but like at that point, I was kind of deep into, let me just try every belief that's thrown at yeah. me. And I remember I was asking for some things which were so vague that who knows if it was because of my ask. But then I threw in like a, it's like a green M&M in the contract. I just like this random thing. It happened to be like a sexual occurrence. I couldn't, I couldn't have possibly planned for. And later that day it happened. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe everything else is kind of just like a little clause to see if whoever was listening <laughs> actually read it. Um, that's, that's interesting that that's also how you go about with the proofs. Yeah. 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 yeah you have to go by experience because I'm specifically working in, in the realm of the unknown. 
Hmm. And and that's what's fun about it. It's this liminal space. It's negotiating between uh, story and non-story, being and non-being. And it's negotiating between uh, thinking you know what you're talking about and admitting that you don't. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back to something you said. Um, uh, sex is the poor man's meditation. Can, can you flush <laughs> that out a little more? Well, yeah, you can have a full full kundalini awakening um through sex um and a lot of people do and uh, there's some some have more language to talk about it than others mm. you know um i think a lot of people awaken that way and um and then it either becomes part of their relationship or it remains a private experience that they never discuss. Um, but there are the trauma can also open all your windows um, that I would call more of a radicalizing experience than uh, than a Kundalini awakening when that happens. Um, but we can we can wake up through wherever we're open. Um, but, but most people don't have the experience of dissolving into oneness of, uh, of, of lights going on inside of connecting with the stars, except for through sex. Hmm. Um, you can have those experiences through any other kind of meditation, i.e. anytime you're as focused as when you're landing a plane. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is people really really only get their day sex mostly. But anytime you're that focused on the in, the interaction between self and other, uh you're wide open for an initiation. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I had heard this uh about you. I don't know if it's true, but like you have you were part of a female lineage that learned about yeah. sexuality. Could you speak yeah. about that? Well, like most of my initiations, I can tell you part of it. And there's a lot I can't tell you. Um, But that was my first initiation. And that was with a group that my mother practiced, which was a a group of Dianic witches. Um, They were uh, working with a a Hungarian lineage that had not lost their lineage um, that was exclusively female. So now that we're all questioning gender, that whole order is not what it was because um, it's, we're redefining what a woman is, right? Mm-hmm. So at the time, it was a group of exclusively cisgendered females naked in the woods um, with, with the goddess. Mm-hmm. And it did involve teaching me to stimulate my clitoris while sitting in the roots of a tree or the branches of a tree with my back to the trunk and connecting my, the movement in my vagus nerve from my own touch on my clitoris and moving the energy up the body and sort of um, becoming one with the tree. Hmm. And I could go up the branches of the tree and astral travel or I could go down to the roots of the tree into the earth. Wow. So what later when I studied sh- uh, shamanic healing with Michael Harner, I realized that this was a sort of that. It was mm. a way 
um, that these women had discovered to go with your whole self. Because that's the other trick with magic. You can think about it. You can say it. But like you said, there was an unexpected belief that you had when you put that intention in the box. And you're like, oh, I kind of believe this for no reason. And that's when your involuntary nervous system became involved in the equation, right? So uh, you want your whole self in, <laughs> and then we can move some energy, right? Uh, and is, is practices like this or what you learned in this initiation what opened up? like mediumship ability like what what is what happens to one as they practice such a thing um well i think i was already a medium i, mm -hmm. I already had um communications with uh, specific guides of my own i was eight or nine around there when we had this initiation um yeah, it opened up a much more physical connection um, with the earth so that um, it became more frequent that I would just lie down on the ground or put my back against a tree and just boom and just go right into uh, what we would have called an orgasmic state at one time. Mm. So the, the definition of orgasm is also up for grabs now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sure that every uh every uh involuntary experience we have is necessarily orgasm right <laughs> um and and what does the tree do in this is it just like tapping into something that's alive that's bigger than you um well there's different ideas about that you know mm -hmm. um a lot of uh, the druidic magic is about talking to the tree you're talking to a tree mm -hmm. you're having a relationship with this being um the initiation i had um of course you're gonna have your favorite trees but they were just like oh no any tree you know because and, and it's the as a conductor because it's in mm -hmm. the earth and it's in the air um so they weren't they weren't uh, communicating directly with the spirit of that tree. Gotcha. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a living thing that lives in two worlds. Hmm. <laughs> How did you end up connecting with One Taste? Uh, well, my friends brought me over. You know, uh -huh. a friend of mine uh, was going through a divorce and. Um, he was a martial artist, so we, we set ourselves up for, like, tasks, you know, and he was, mm -hmm. his penance was that he was going to be celibate for a year. And me and the other friend, we were like, aha, we're taking bets on how long he's going to last. And then, sure enough, before three months were up, he was taking us over to One Taste. And we were like, oh, okay, so you're still celibate, right? And he was like, yeah, no, it's not sex, right? And we're like, okay, yeah, so what, lesbians do that's not sex either, right? No pee and vagina, no sex. Like, come on, man, what? Do you, what? You are, you're, you're getting in the, the, the field. You're, you're, you're an addict, man, you know? And so we decided, okay, this is actually, uh, it was a Venusian arts pra practice that mm -hmm. balanced our martial arts practice. It wasn't until years later that I was humble enough to see that the reason that I didn't get messed with as much as a lot of people I know feel messed with by their experience with one taste, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't, I must be rad. No, I walked in with two armed guards 
Hmm. <laughs> stayed by me the whole damn time. And so it's not a mystery why um, I emerged from this experience unscathed. Huh. So, because it seemed like you were kind of, I mean, by the time I met you, you were already like in a teacher role or like, you know, they didn't treat you as like a, as a mark or anything. I don't know what no. your relationship was like that. I kind of just assumed it's because you were such a solid person or you had your own uh, practices that were bigger than what they yeah, did. I don't know. The armed guards the whole time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, as and and uh, because I was uh, born and raised in counterculture, mm-hmm. um, I don't have the same programming, so it's much more difficult to manipulate me. Mm-hmm. And if you're a manipulator and a person is consistently like, yeah, I see you doing that. Uh, you get respect for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So they got respect for me every time that one of their games had nowhere to hook into. Yeah. But it wasn't me. It's just at the happening of my conditioning. Uh, they didn't know how to manipulate it. Gotcha. Uh, there are ways, like what I'm discovering with, with my new book, that, that, the, that the New Age counterculture narrative is, of course, infected with white supremacy. And there's plenty of decolonizing to do also there um but you know um i started i always i always got paid at one taste i i didn't uh you know i didn't have a credit card number i gave them or anything and i always made sure i got paid for my services and nick and nick saw what i was doing so there that we were friends and 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 i worked on her i did i did sessions on her i did sessions on on, on a lot of people that work there um and it was about fine-tuning energy mm. and um you know when there was the warehouse you know i would get sometimes unethical re- requests like can you mm. break these people up you know mm. and it is like shooting fish in a barrel you know when you have a, a, a closed container like that. <laughs> yeah and so you know trying to stay within my uh, staying within my ethics um i did experiment with what kind of effect can I have on a whole group dynamic at a distance? Wouldn't look on no hands. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I, I learned a lot and I, and I actually learned a lot about my own practice about, about um, orgasm and, um, and the interrelational aspects because I had studied it isolated, only cisgendered women mm-hmm. and only in this context and then when you start developing dialogue with your partners around it, it's, it's actually a lot more fun and, and integrative and, and you can do a lot with it. Huh. So it sounds like they kind of used you as like a, a hired gun for certain things energetically. <laughs> so, yeah. It felt like that a little bit, okay. yeah. And like the, you know, the esotericist for, you know, um, for certain uh, um, pro- ritual practices that, that they were doing too. Yeah. Yeah, because one thing, oh, here's the way let's this airplane pass. <laughs> but I wasn't the only one. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't the only uh, esoterist that they were working with. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, well, you and I connected because um, I had lent money to my mentor, and instead of paying me back, she just got me a session with you. I don't know why she did it that way. I don't know if maybe she had like a credit with you. That. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was so hooked into, I just listened to everything. That was like when I was like the deepest in. So I was like, okay. And it was interesting because, you know, you just, you know, you channeled, you gave me, you said a bunch of things to me. Um, one of the things you said was that 
I was doing too much fire practice. Oh, and, yeah. and you said something like oming the way I was doing it was a fire practice. So I thought you were kind of hinting at me that I should not om so much, but I thought it was confusing because uh, my mentor had connected me with you. It's like, I kind of like said that to her and she kind of just laughed and it was like, it would have been blasphemous to say I need to own less. I don't know why they kept recommending <laughs> me because I would go against the party line on a lot of things. Uh-huh. Um, and, and people who <clears throat> like high, higher level of sin one taste, they'll come get a session with me when they want to leave because they know I have no investment in their staying or going, you know, yeah. I, I understand the practice. I understand its limitations. I understand the, the people and their limitations. And um, and yeah, they they were giving you too much fire practice on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that really resonated because I didn't really know what you were talking about, other than the fact that I knew I always my eyes would always get so hot when I owned that I would fall asleep, okay. and I was always like feeling dehydrated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I don't know. Um, but another thing you said to me uh, that I remember was that I wasn't in one taste to learn about the feminine. I was there to learn about the masculine, which made no yeah. sense to me because huh. uh, I, you know, I went from a very hyper masculine environment to like one taste, which is. Um, but so then it started. Sorry. Was it martial arts or business or what was it? A bunch of things. I mean, I was uh, the Marines was my first. Okay. planned career and I decided to yeah. not do that but then I was kind of lost until I found one taste um uh but yeah then I only this year has it clicked like oh I kind of discovered my masculinity in interfacing with this hyper feminine environment yeah. and it's like I mean it took like five years for me to get what you said but I got it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um uh yeah so so what what is it like um with you know having this uh you know weird relationship with one taste i mean you're esteemed by them but also going against the line did that ever come up as a problem um yeah no they never tried to to micromanage what i did or said in my work and Hmm. by then they'd figured out you know that that wasn't gonna work so gotcha (laughs) (laughs) Um, the only thing, oh yeah, I mean, when, when when all the shit came down, I was like looking, I'm like, oh, did I do anything wrong? Did I, you know, uh, bulldoze anybody's consent? Did I, you know, and I'm looking and really the only thing they had on me was this snake dance in the magic school. Like people Mm. think that, oh, that's weird. You know, I thought, well, (laughs) that's how they got on me then. (laughs) Yeah. What, what's I your take it, of it all now? Yeah. What's well, your take of it all? We all have to, you know, re-examine, um, re-examine what what we learned and 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 uh, you know, uh, Nick's teachers had unethical business practices, which they taught her, and 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 they had uh, also spiritual practices on the edge of of ethics that that they taught her and um she did the best to to liberate the system that she could you know um there's you know most people who know a lot about sex learn about it some fucked up way and that's where we are right now um 
you're not supposed to still you're not supposed to know a lot about sex unless you're a sex worker hmm. and uh, the way we treat sex workers is not great so um you know when people come to me with like their issues about about one taste we work on their healing because whatever happened happened and 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 whatever healing needs to take place needs to take place but first i want to just you know tell me again how you want to know what hookers know but you don't want to actually have to have anything to do with any actual hookers hmm. and they're going to have money issues and they're going to have power issues hmm. you know <laughs> so do, do you think as we as the society opens up as the information becomes more prevalent you know we don't have these problems but in the beginning yeah do, do you have you imagined what a such you know corrected society or, or healthier society i mean would it be like something where the initiations you went through when you were eight and nine were just like mm -hmm. normal like every young woman every girl went through that every is, is that kind of like what would be a healthier solution? I don't know, you know. Um, I, no, I wouldn't recommend that as a blanket solution for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of places where that's still dangerous. Um, there, There's a large chunks of the world where you can still get stoned to death and stuff. Mm. So... So now I wouldn't recommend just like a blanket, you know, everybody do this now. Um, but uh, but uh, gradually uh, women coming out of silence and men coming out of silence around sex and there being more communication and more uh, compassion, uh, carefulness around consent, um, I think awareness uh awareness around sexuality is universally gonna get us all somewhere better <laughs> and um i guess the the whatever it looked like the the ideal would be where people didn't have to go through fucked up things or even with initiations they didn't have to deal with all this pain and trauma to have that experience I, it could just be healthy yeah, you know my some of my friends in spain they're they're my age and I assumed everybody's first sexual experience was with themselves. Hmm. Not so if the church gets there first and tells you you're going to hell before you even think of it. Mm -hmm. I know people who began masturbating after their first divorce. Oh. They started learning about sex after their first divorce. And that's mm -hmm. regular folks, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and because you're really not supposed to know. And yeah. and uh and I forget what the question was. Oh, uh, <laughs> people people accessing, uh, you know, the benefits of these traumatic experiences, but without the trauma. Right. Yeah. So the other way to learn about sex before before your after your divorce <laughs> is is some fucked up way. You either get molested or raped, or and 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 you have to find out what happened to you. You know. Mm. Or it, it's a situation of uh, often in families, it's grooming and years of sexual abuse. So you have to disentangle um, your, your false empowerment from your actual sexual empowerment. Huh. 
Yeah, I guess just the one thing I was wondering is maybe the last piece of, on this is just that uh, I've always, everyone I know who's like really interesting or came to realizations young, they had something fucked up happen or like they dealt with something. Yeah. And like people who haven't, in my opinion, is maybe it's judgmental. They seem kind of boring or they just haven't gone deep. Well, and I'm like, and, there's got to be a, you know. And, you know, it's, it's very taboo to say anything like this. So I would hope nobody quotes me out of context. But there was, I remember reading something on a Facebook thread where someone was admitting, they said, you know, I'm actually kind of psyched to find out who my new girlfriend has sexual abuse because I know she's going to be freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And unfortunately, that is m- mostly how people find out if they're freaky. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the origin of the freak, but uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But we find out early because we have to find out. We have to explore if we're initiated that way, and um, and and it's a shame, you know. There there is something traumatic about about a good initiation done well. Hmm. Um, there's still trauma in there there's still either body modification or scaring you or something um, because it throws us into our end of voluntary services. And that's why it's right. valuable. Mm-hmm. But um, trauma is not the ideal form of initiation, but you can't say it's not a form of initiation. It, it, mm-hmm. it is. Huh. So I know you're, you're working on a new book um, on book of shadows, decoding mysticism, I guess is the, decolonizing 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 mysticism because what i found is that the ascensionist narrative is necessarily a hierarchical uh uh narrative there is a white supremacist narrative in new age philosophy where everything Mm. we can't explain is done by aliens my personal Mm. opinion is that the pyramids were built by black people as were the massive statues on Easter Island and mm. lots of other shit that white people didn't do. It doesn't mean it was done by aliens, but you go, you go into like a regular, like massage or meditation community and you start questioning these things and people flip out. You know? And you're like, okay, why, why is it important to maintain a white supremacist narrative in in your in your goody two shoes, you know, energy healing meditation practice. Very interesting. Um, uh, wait, I just I, I don't understand the white supremacy part. Is it the idea that if you know European technology didn't figure it out, it must have been otherworldly? Must have been aliens. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. It couldn't have to do anything with the fact that black people built it and we burned down the library with any record of how they built gotcha. it. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that you still have, you know, people walking around believing this narrative that the aliens built the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to do with ascension. So you have to believe you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere better. Mm-hmm. And the actual fact of life is it cycles. There's always cycles. You're never going anywhere. That's the Brahmin thing was the political tool of social engineering, and it still is. And uh, But the actual fact is power arises from below. It arises up the body. It gets to through your glandular system and your nervous system up here, and it's going to change your mind, and then it's going to drop down. It's not going to keep going up. There's no upstairs. There's nothing higher than God. It's going to come down and it's going to ask for embodiment and it's going to come mm-hmm. down into your, into your daily practice. Like how close can I get to my ideal? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and you have to know that you're not, you're not, 
<laughs> you're, uh. never, you're never close to your ideal. You have to keep working. But the way that it spreads is the energy doesn't go up. That's going to be entropy. Uh, it goes up, it comes down, and then it moves outward horizontally in acts of good works in your community. Hmm. communicating with other people um about uh about your ideals and and how you want to manifest them on this huh. it's interesting it's, it's tying to a lot of other things i've heard in different subjects like how um in psychology like freudian psychology is very monotheistic in its uh viewpoints like this is this idea they need to transcend the ego or even like those simple things it's like basically a holy trinity that freud created with different words and it's all like cutting off the bottom, overcoming the impulses, the, the animal body. Um, and then um, I was also, I just interviewed um, a woman who's a, both a Tantra practitioner and a Taoist sexuality practitioner. And kind of what you described were the two like schools of thought with moving energy up the body. Is it up and out or is it up and you cycle it back through an orbit? Uh, and that just seems more human. I don't know. Leads to less yeah. headaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you can try uh, to escape this plane, but even if you're a monk in a cave in the Himalayas and you haven't seen anyone in 30 years, you're still connected to the rest of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, when I was at One Taste, I met this guy. He was in the military. He kind of did the, the, what I planned on doing initially, and then he hated it. He totally, you know, went <laughs> against his conscience. So he'd end up doing Vipassana for like a year straight. And he said he got to the point where he can feel he actually dissolved his ego almost like 100%. And he's like, wait, I don't want to leave this plane. Like, I, I want to enjoy life. I want to have sex and play with money and stuff. He's like, why would I leave this lifetime I've been given this gift of being a human? You leave it anyway. You know, by all accounts, this thing is brief. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well enjoy it. Yeah, that made, I, mean, I love thinking about it that way. It's like, why leave, like, why transcend this plane? There's so much fun to have. Here. And why not, you know, bring the light down and right. shine into the darkness and illuminate the darkness and bring bring your, your, your spiritual idealism right into your sexuality hmm. where it's going to make a change in your home. It's going to make a change right where you live in your relationships. And then you have a point of reference for how to resolve these kind of problems, how to, you know, put the vulnerability first hmm. as, as the precious thing in the relationship, um, how to listen to one another. You know. Cool. Is that, so is your book uh, kind of like a procedural guide or is it more like historical it is. It's. I started writing it because uh, I have uh, different ages of godchildren. When my youngest godchild right now is a, uh, she's eleven, and um, and she likes books. So um, traditionally, you, you you write it down. You write it down with, with your handwriting and write the charts and the symbols with your hand, and then your student copies it into their own book of shadows. And hmm. um, she copies it in English, then she writes it again in French, and she writes it again in a code only she understands. Hmm. <laughs> but my my practice became to, to distill these these con complex concepts into uh, as the simplest way possible, so that an eleven year old can understand them. Hmm. And um, and yeah, so so it's it's a demystifying transmission. <laughs> gotcha and applicable to anyone who's interested in yeah. some sort of in yeah. self-initiation 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it coming out. I've, yeah, it's been great speaking with you about. It's just nice like it's, it's. Yeah, it's fun speaking about like mysticism, in, like a practical, like understandable way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when do you think the book will be out? Uh, probably in a year. Okay. Cool. Well, definitely, uh, we'll hit you up again when it comes out. (laughs) Cool. Um, was there anything else you wanted to share? Like, or how could people find out more about your work? Um, uh, Hex and Hammer Press, uh, is, uh, is where I published my novels last year. They are an archipagan, ecofeminist, uh, fantasy trilogy of a group of menopausal women, finally run out of loving kindness and go on a <laughs> rampage um so that was me contacting the harpy within postmenopause. we we have this ruthlessness that mm. takes the place of the maternal in- instinct and, uh, mm. and and that's when i let her speak that's what happened so leslie celine um facebook or insta or whatever and uh, hex and hammer press for the books awesome Thanks. Well, so fun speaking with you. You too. Have a great time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to rwando.com. Catch me on social media at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.